from a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan McIntyre. Karen Cecile Davidson is an author from the Gulf Coast who now lives in Columbus, Ohio. Karen has an MFA from Leslie University and is the interview's co-editor for the Newfound Journal. Her stories have been published in Five Points, the Massachusetts Review, Story Magazine, and elsewhere, and she has received a number of awards, including an Ohio Arts Council Residency, an Ohio Arts Council Individual Excellence Award, and a Peter Taylor Fellowship. Karn's first novel, Sibelia Drive, released on October 6th from Braddock Avenue Books and is available for purchase online and in Prologue and $2 Radio in Columbus, Ohio. Karin, uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Brendan. It's good to be here. So Sibelia Drive came out last month. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about the novel? Like, what's it about and why did you write it? Sure. Um, Sibelia Drive involves the lives of three kids that are growing up together in a lake town in central Florida during the Vietnam War. And they each wish for something that they can't have. So without giving you any spoilers, that's sort of the intention. Um, There are a lot more stories than just theirs in the book because it's it's very much a multi-voiced situation. Um, We have the Vietnam War going on and in wartime, there's a lot of disillusion and disagreement and hoping to agree and then disagreeing anyway among people. So I wanted to address that um, about how the weight of war can weigh down a community, especially a community that has so many of its citizens leaving, being deployed um, or enlisting in um in a, in a war situation that maybe is politically incorrect, depending on what your viewpoint is. Um, there's a lot of love and loss, um, friendship is dealt with, and it's the, it's the fever pitch of the 1960, or late 1960s through the late 1970s. How central is the time of the 60s and the 70s to the novel? And what made you want to set the book in that time in particular? Um, there, there are a couple of reasons that I wrote the book. One of them, <laughs> one of them started out as something very small. I was taking a class at Ohio State, at the Ohio State University, <laughs> and and um, Michelle Herman, who was my professor at that point, said, "I dare you to write a new story." I kept bringing old stories that I wanted to further revise to class. And she said, I, I go ahead, I just dare you. And her dare was so impassioned that it really struck something in me. And I knew I had to write something completely new. And the very first story was not the beginning of the book as it stands now. It was a piece, it was a chapter. It was a story that then became a chapter as the novel grew which was from Rainey's point of view rather than Lulu's. Lulu is the character that for most people, she carries the book. She has such a very strong, feisty personality that she carries right. the book. But Rainey is definitely important too to carrying the book. And so between the dare and a memory that I had, I was a child growing up in a central Florida lake town, like right. these two. And I wanted to explore this memory that I had, which I won't 
go into detail about because it will be a spoiler, <laughs> okay. but it's a very dramatic and profound situation um, that my, a friend of mine and I found ourselves in the middle of in her neighborhood in the central Florida Lake Town. And um, the war, and then a third element, the war in Iraq was going on when I started mm. writing. And I wanted to, it, it brought back memories of the boys and the men who returned from Vietnam when I was a teenager. And, and some of them really were boys. They were 18, 19 coming back after yeah. a year tour. And there was this very incredible silence that they carried. Nobody talked about what they'd been through. We didn't ask. We were kids, you know, and, and so the war in Iraq with all of the elements of how soldiers were treated when they came home and how many times they were redeployed. It, I just wanted to examine that. And I knew the best way to, for me to examine it would be to look more in, look more intensely at the war that defined my generation. So that's how we ended back in the 60s and 70s with the Vietnam War. Do you feel there might be any resonances between those years and the times that we're in right now? There's just, a, there's, there's so much going on right now <laughs> that we won't get into all of that. But there is a definite sense of unrest with the protests that occurred after George's, George Floyd's um, murder is what I would call right. it. Yeah. Um, and, and not to compare that with um, all of the things that were going on in the 60s with civil rights. I mean, we, <laughs> the fact that we have, that hardly any, I that I feel like hardly anything has happened as far as progress yeah. for people of color and for where we are as a society in terms of being involved in wars that make no sense in terms of a political um, structure in our country that is incredibly self-defeating and hurts so many people. Um, there was, and there was a, there's a lot of fraught tension that is going on now that definitely echoes what was going on in the sixties and seventies. Um, my, I was a little bit younger than the generation who were in college at that point, but the, the people who, and like college students and professors that were in the middle of, um, the protests against the Vietnam war, I, I met later, you know, once you become an adult, like it all sort of comes together. It doesn't matter that the person is 10 or 15 years older, you're all adults together and trying to understand certain situations. And so um, I learned a lot in retrospect about what had happened, even though I'd been alive during what had happened. I grew up in New Orleans. Okay. So it's kind of a, a kaleidoscope of, of culture there. Yeah. And it's not to say that there's not, um, 
racial tension and that sort of thing. There's, there's definitely a classist kind of society that, that is still there. But, um, but, the, but, the pro <laughs> but the protests in New Orleans were different. Like on, on Tulane campus, people would light up their windows in a certain way so that they were spelling out messages. And I'm sure that there were um, marches as well, but not the kind of marches that we say we see still in Washington, D.C. On, on the Capitol and, and so on. As you mentioned, you grew up in the Gulf Coast. How much does that upbringing come out um, in the book in particular and in your writing in general? It's, it's funny. I live in, I've lived in Columbus, Ohio since 1993. This is the, okay. and this is the place I've lived in longer than anywhere. And I've lived, okay. I've lived in many places, but I always thought New Orleans would be the, the place that was, um, that I would return to and that I really, you know, feel like an attachment to. So it's interesting that this, I mean, <laughs> it's very different, but in terms of my, my writing and the novel, I return to the Gulf Coast all of the time in my writing. Sometimes I end up in Berlin, Germany or in fictional town, of Dynamo, Iowa, you know, I might be someplace yeah. completely different, but for the most part, I'd say 85% of the time I'm in the Gulf Coast with my writing. And so there's a definite pool there. And as far as my background and my writing go, there's, there are always going to be echoes of who I became as a person, how I came up in the world, who, surrounded me and I was very lucky I had um I grew up with people who love books and who had a lot of books in their home not necessarily kids books but there was always the library and and my grandmother took me to the library all the time she was she, so I started out in Florida until the age of seven and then my mother and I moved to New Orleans so I was the kid um, the only child um, hanging out with lots of other children, riding our banana seat bikes through the graveyards in New Orleans. And, you know, it was a go out and play um, era. Yeah. Like grownups didn't want you in there. You know, it's like right now is with the pandemic, I don't know what right. we would do if we'd had a pandemic back then. <laughs> um, but they're definitely like, from anything from the like the tang and the loam of a of a citrus grove to the sound that winds of a hurricane make through banana tree fronds i mean all of that comes into my writing i tend to somebody asked me the other day where do you are you are you more of like do you start with a person do you start with an image i think i start with an image and it has to, to also do with place yeah. Sense of place is very I'm very drawn to that. It's it's strong in my writing and it's where I start. What is the role of the war in the novel and how does it impact the characters in your novel? Yeah, um the Vietnam War definitely um is central to the novel, even though this is actually a story about the home front mm -hmm. because most of the 
most of the action is taking place in this little town, Ana Clara, Florida, which is fictional. And I mean, there is a Lake Sibelia, which is actually in Zora Neale Hurston's novel, oh. The Watching God, and in many oh, other yeah. stories. Eatonville, um, Lake Sibelia is really very close to Eatonville. So that was okay. her, her lake. And I love the sound of it. And it must have been somewhere in my unconscious that 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 um, Sibelia Sibelia sound, right. and um, so when I had all of the choices of so many different lakes, Osceola, Catherine, so on and so forth, Sibelia was the one that called. So that's how. And there is an actual Sibelia Drive going around the lake. Okay. But to go back to your question, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to present this community where there were so many people from the community that had to leave, had to go and serve or chose to go and serve to, to serve their country. And what, what it was like for the members of the family back at home to deal with that kind of absence. So in essence, the novel is about, um, those who leave for war, those who don't come back, and then those who come back changed. And so when you, when you think about the, like the structure of the novel with so many voices in it that are all, that have different opinions about what's right. going on and different kinds of relationships to whether someone has left and not returned and they don't know like the per that particular person is missing in action or somebody who has returned like Lulu's, Lulu and Saul's father who is profoundly changed. So while the, while the actual scenes that take place in Vietnam are all in pretty much in backstory, mm -hmm. um, Every single person in this town is deeply affected by either having lost a family member, having had a family member leave and not return, or have a family member return incredibly changed. And, and I mean, in terms of PTSD and, and more, much more. So, um, so I, and also in terms of the structure somebody asked me about between Vietnam and Florida, like, mm -hmm. and so I started to, I started to think of the, the structure as I was writing it as all of the different voices being the spokes of a wheel. Oh. And the hub of the wheel is Florida and the rim of the wheel is Vietnam. And as all of these stories, all of these different voices are spinning the plot is moving forward. Right. So, but there definitely is a weight to, to war within the novel and it, and it's, and it's pressing down on all of the narratives for sure. Right. All of the, all of the sub stories and then the main story, it's driving it. Started the book in the early 2000s, right? So it started out as a story and I thought okay, it was yeah. just one story. And I wondered after I wrote Rainey's story, what is the deal with Lulu? Why is she, why is she so mad? 
And so I wrote her story. And then I was wondering about Saul. Why is he so sullen? And so I wrote his story. And then in, into that process, I was in grad school. Okay. And my, my advisor said, do you understand that you're not writing linked stories? You're ri actually writing a novel. And I said, no, I don't want to write a novel. <laughs> and she said, it's too late. She said, it's too late and it's great. Just keep going. And I really resisted that. So at the same time that I was writing this novel, I was also writing a story collection okay. just so that I could have little, little projects that weren't part of this bigger project that I could send out into the world. And so I wrote two books at once, which is part of the reason wow. it took so long. Yeah. And which was also unintentional, but it just happened. And also um, the, I actually finished the book in 2015 okay. and it just took that much longer to find an agent and then a publisher and all of that. It's just, a, it's a very slow process. What is it like to write a novel as opposed to stories? In what ways is it different? it's um it's it's very different yeah and and because I resisted writing the novel and I kept thinking about it as linked stories for a long long time and I wrote the entire book and then I rewrote it as a novel so that was another reason that it took so long but um the when you're when you're writing a story you're writing this sort of glimpse of a glimpse of a person's life. Whereas with this novel, I could go over 10 years and take my time. And I wouldn't say that it's not challenging. I mean, you have to consider how things overlap and how not to repeat and, you know, just all of the different elements that you have to chart on your way with a novel because right. it's so complex and there's so many moving parts. Whereas with a story, it's, it's not, it's not that a story is just one moving part. It also has moving parts, but it's, it's just a smaller framework. And I think that's why I like stories. It's like you, you can finally get to the end and then right. send it off into the world. And hopefully there'll be somebody out there that loves it and wants to publish it. But, um, but in terms of, you know, ignoring the fact that you're writing a novel and thinking that you're writing stories and then rewriting it as a novel, it was, it was, it was quite something. I laid out all of the chapters across the floor <laughs> and and there are 18 chapters, so it took up a lot of yeah. time. And then, and then I went through because even sequ sequencing them, because the things move around in time in this particular mm -hmm. novel, I had to reorganize and reorganize and rewrite. There were so many revisions just because I had, well, mainly because I had so many voices. Yeah. But in terms of writing a story collection, which I did at the same time, I think that of all of the stories that I wrote, not all of them belonged in this particular collection. And it's not a published collection. Maybe it never will be, but all of the stories have been published. Okay. So, 
So it may be that somebody says, oh, okay, that's great. Like you've got 11 here. Let's take these nine. Cause they're, yeah. I'd say great. <laughs> but it is a very different process because, you know, you're working maybe with something that connects them like theme rather right. than having a, a complete and much larger arc. You have lots of little arcs. <laughs> What's it like to now have this novel out in the world for everyone to read? <laughs> it's, um, it's pretty mind boggling. I'm really happy. The day that it launched October 6th, I was, um, I, I said to myself, I'm gonna go around to all the bookshops I'm working with a small press, so nobody yeah. wants to have it unless I can sign it, which is part of the deal. And, um, and, and I thought, you know what, that's not going to make me happy. <laughs> so instead, I took an enormous box of colored chalk, and I have a very long driveway. <laughs> and, I, and I basically wrote the title of the book all the way down the driveway and then illustrated it in the oh. same way that the cover is illustrated, which is, I'll have to give a, some props to the cover artist. Annie Russell is local to Columbus. Okay. She also, and yeah. she went to Tulane University. She's a self-taught artist and she um, is phenomenal with botanicals. I mean, she has, there's a trumpet vine, camellias, ligustrum, palm fronds, so right. this is what I did the day of my launch is I chalk drew, you know, in honor of Annie's beautiful cover art, um, Sibelia Drive down my driveway. And then I had a backyard masked um, reading. <laughs> oh, that's, that sounds fun. <laughs> With champagne and all that. It was great. So I'm nice. very, I'm very happy that it's out in the world. I hope that it reaches, you know, despite the fact that it's with a small press. And I love Braddock Avenue books. They're so supportive. They're um, they're out of Pittsburgh. Okay. The Braddock Avenue in Pittsburgh, but the editors are, you know, like we are in different places. <laughs> and it's and it's it's small, but it's but it's terrific. And nice. I hope that um, I hope that re it reaches readers and that they they spread around the world if they like it. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I think Rainy and Lulu and Saul have a great story to tell. Yeah. And it's strange. Once you get the words down and it's in a book and it's out in the world, it belongs to the readers then. So thank you, readers. <laughs> <laughs> so what is next? Um, is there anything else that you have in the works? I do. I have, well, it's another collection because I love stories so much. And it's going to, I started it in 2018 and I got about three stories down and I'm working on four and five now of a collection that's based on Gulf Coast, Gulf Coast music and livelihoods. So all of the different livelihoods that are very specific to that region, like um, Texas Roughnecks and okay. A New Orleans oyster shucker, or a Florida wiki-wachi mermaid, you know, just kind of out there. I've got a nice. couple of stories down. One is, one is in um, Oxford, around Oxford, Mississippi, and the 
The main character is a field naturalist who loves opera. So we get Leontine Price in that one. Thank you again for talking with me today. Yeah, thank you, Brendan. This is great. For more information on our guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. I've been your host, Brendan McIntyre. And until next time, stay creative.